Uh, I just want to welcome all of the campuses that are going to be tuning in. We have here at Hillside, but we also have Itaewon, Seaside, and of course, Sydney campuses that are going to be joining us. So understand that even though we have multiple sites, we're one church. Amen? Amen. Oh, man, I am, to be honest, a little bit nervous about preaching today's message. If you guys are Facebook friends with me, I've already made a status about that statement. Uh, but I am excited because I believe that this word is really something that God wants to set us free in order to build a momentum for the rest of this year. Uh, what I want us to do is just um, take a moment and just greet your neighbor and, and let them know that this message is for you. All right, 2014 is the year of wisdom, wisdom. Wisdom. This is an incredible theme for this year. Uh, Pastor Paul, uh, our Sydney campus pastor, this past Friday fire, preached an awesome message about wisdom, and he introduced his message just talking about the power of wisdom itself. He was going on talking about how in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is understood to be a game changer. When you have wisdom, you will have life. Not only will you have life, but you will have the essence of abundant life. You know, wisdom is actually all about stewardship, if you think about it. We're called to steward our lives. We're called to steward our time. We're called to steward our bodies. We're called to steward our finances. And how we do it requires wisdom. You know, we all need wisdom in our life. And the thing about wisdom, even in Proverbs, it says that wisdom is constantly crying out to us. Wisdom is not something that's obscure. It's not something that's far away. It's not something that's unattainable or unreachable. Wisdom is calling out to us. But it is our responsibility to listen. And so today, as I preach, I believe that all campuses, everyone that's sitting and hearing this word will be listening. Amen? You know, uh, Pastor Christian kicked off the theme last Sunday regarding uh, wisdom in time. And he talked about Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And he mentioned how the New New King James Version of this passage translated making the best use of the time as redeem the time. And that word redeem in the original language of Hebrew was talking about rescue. Rescue from loss the time. Rescue. I want to continue on talking about time today and wisdom in time. And I want to mention how in John 10.10, it says in scripture that thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And today I want to talk specifically about a culprit in our lives that continuously tries to steal, kill, and destroy our time. This thief continues to show its face every single day in our lives. Oh, mercy. And we have allowed it to continuously rob us over and over. 
it's a culprit that was found in previous generations, but more, none more so than this current generation. This thief is responsible for hours and hours of mindless squandering of time, especially in key moments. What am I talking about today? I want to talk about procrastination. I want you to turn to your neighbor at all campuses and say, mercy. Mercy. You know, I looked up a couple of definitions of procrastination, and one of the definitions I found was to procrastinate is to be slow or late about doing something that should be done. To be slow or late about something that should be done. There was another definition. I like this one. It says this, to procrastinate is to delay something until a later time because you don't want to do it because you are lazy. (laughs) Nice, right? I was just like, ooh, that hurts. It hurts. The reoccurring words you see in all these numerous definitions that you can find online is to be slow, to be late, to delay, to put off, All of this in regards to something that should be done. So what does procrastination look like? Let me give you guys a couple of personal examples here. It could look like wasting an hour on Facebook, stalking your friends, and even people you don't like when you should be working on an important work assignment. It could look like taking two hours to clean your home. That sounds productive, right? But when you should be, calling your friend to resolve a conflict. It looks like snoozing your alarm clock five times when you should be getting up immediately in order to be on time for work. Or waiting, students, this is for you, till the day before a 10-page paper is due to start working on it when you should have been starting a month ago. Hmm procrastination. I want you guys to open up the Bible. Let's take a look at what scripture says about procrastination. We're going to open up to Proverbs chapter six, and we're going to be looking at verses six to 11 today. Proverbs chapter six, verses six to 11. I'm going to be reading from the ESV version, um, and so I'll just read it out loud. Actually, let's just read it all at the same time, all of the verses from verses 6 to 11. Here we go. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Mm. I'm going to read a version that I think is awesome. It's the message. This is what the message says from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. You lazy fool. Look at an ant. Watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. 
All summer, it stores up food and harvests its stockpiles provisions. So how long are you going to laze around doing nothing? How long before you go out of bed? A nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. Sit back and take it easy. Do you know what comes next? Just this. You can look forward to a dirt poor life. Poverty, your permanent house guest. The message, man, just bringing it. Look at the words. A nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. In the ESV, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. The nature of procrastination is that it's a mindset that convinces us it's no big deal. Eh, just a little sleep, just a little slump, just a little break, just five more minutes, just 10 more minutes, just one more snooze, just a little distraction. It's a mindset that says, hey, this is just, it's, it's no big deal, no biggie. You can afford to take this time. You can afford to take this break. The first thing that we need to understand is our mindset needs to be changed about procrastination. We need to change our hearts about being a little slow, a little delayed, a little late with what we're responsible for. Otherwise, we're going to get robbed. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get robbed. And especially in this year of 2014, I'm not interested in getting robbed. When it comes to all of the pieces of wisdom that's going to be coming our way all throughout this year, do you want that to be taken? We want to be a people that knows how to possess this wisdom, applies the wisdom, lives out this wisdom. But one of the culprits that's going to seek to steal this opportunity from you is going to be procrastination. I once read um, online somewhere that procrastination is kind of like a credit card at fun. It's a, at first, it's a lot of fun, but at some point, you got to pay the bill. Procrastination is a very costly thing. We convince ourselves, eh, just a little bit sleep here. I can afford a little bit rest there. And we forget and choose to not think about the work that's ahead of us. You know, if you just take procrastination case by case, it doesn't really seem like that big of a deal. But the problem is when it becomes habitual, when it becomes a chronic pattern in our lives, when we continuously procrastinate over and over, we avoid things that we're responsible for. We're pushing, pushing away things that we should have high priority for. This is when it can really ruin the quality of our lives. Procrastination is to be slow, to delay to be late. Simply put, it's unnecessarily wasting time. We're called to be stewards of our time. We're called to be wise with our time. We're called to make the most of our time, but in direct confliction with that would be wasting our time. You know, when it comes to receiving our generation, we tend to be a little bit stingy in showing grace when it comes to something that's slow, delayed, or late. We complain when the bus is two minutes late. We get upset about the bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. We become mean to the pedarajashi for bringing our chicken 10 minutes later than the estimated time. We're quick to get upset. We're quick to get angry. We complain about the coworker that hands in his part of the project a day late. Don't we complain about things like that? We constantly demand things to be on time when we're receiving it. 
But when we flip it around and think about when it's our time to give, we show ourselves a whole lot of grace, don't we? We're so quick to justify, oh, I was a little bit slow because, you know, traffic on the way here, it's not my fault. And, oh, yeah, you know, I know I was supposed to give that to you, that email. I know you needed that response, but I was just been going through so much things lately. We're so quick to justify our lateness. We're so quick to justify our procrastination, yet we're so demanding when it comes to others giving it to us. In a sense, procrastination is actually very selfish. It's self-centered. One thing that I do want to mention, though, is there are times when we need to allow ourselves to be slow. Times where we need to allow ourselves to delay and even be late regarding things that are menial in order for us to give priority to what's important. The problem is we tend to reverse this and we give priority to our menial tasks and procrastinate on things that need to get done. For an example, for example, if you have a, an assignment that's due, I can think of so many college papers that were due at a certain time. And as I sit on my desk getting ready to do this paper, all of a sudden I notice, oh man, I didn't do my laundry for a while. And laundry becomes something of much urgency. No, no, no. I must get my laundry done. This is important. I have to check this off my to-do list in order to do my paper. All of a sudden, the menial task becomes and makes its way up and up on the high list of our priorities. This is deception. This is ultimately procrastination. Because what we're intentionally doing is pushing away the assignment at hand in order to do other things. We're called to be productive people. This is our destiny. This is our purpose. Our mandate is to be fruitful. And fruitfulness requires for us to attack the things we need to get done when it needs to get done. We know that procrastination is bad. We're all aware. I don't need to talk to you guys for 15 minutes explaining what's wrong with procrastination. I know that we all know that we shouldn't do it. But then why? Why do we do it? Why do we procrastinate? In the back of our minds, we're saying, don't, you know, this is probably a bad idea. Now, I'm just going to check Facebook just for five minutes. And you just already know. You know it's not going to be five minutes. No, 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 just, just five minutes. Literally, in our brain, there are studies that show that there's an argument that actually happens. Our prefrontal cortex is where we make major decisions. And this is a, a very, I guess, advanced part of our brain. And then we have another part of our brain, uh, amygdala, that talks about how we, um, as it limbic, it's our limbic system in our brain that is more primal. This is our, what triggers we need to eat. We need to sleep. Okay. And often these two places in our brain begin to argue it out when we have something that we need to get done. Our prefrontal cortex says, listen, you need to start this assignment now in order for you to be on time. But our limbic system says, oh, but I'm so hungry, (laughs) but I need to eat. There's this literal argument that happens in our brain. Why? Why do we end up choosing what we choose? Why do we procrastinate? Well, I saw an article written by Rick Warren. He's the author of a book called Purpose Driven Life. And he mentioned five reasons why we procrastinate. So I'm going to talk about these five reasons. Um, Other people have other reasons. I thought these reasons were pretty good. So we're going to go through the list. The first one is indecision. 
When you struggle with being indecisive, you will see precious time being wasted, even on menial decisions. You're going to find 10 minutes of your life gone because you are deciding whether to get soup or salad with your entree. Which one? Super salad, super salad, super salad. I don't know about you, but I've had moments like that where the waitress is just like, and I'm like, hold on, just one second. Indecision, our indecisiveness causes procrastination. Second reason for procrastination, perfectionism. Waiting for the perfect conditions to get started on something. You know, I listened to a TED talk on procrastination and I I learned something very interesting. Often this perfectionism, it also manifests in this way. Some perfectionists choose to handicap themselves by procrastinating in order to avoid the label of being incompetent. Let me give you an example. If you have an assignment that you're nervous about, man, I'm not really good at reading, but I know I have to finish this book. A perfectionist might say, you know what? I'm just going to wait last minute. I'm going to try to read this book or do this assignment the day before. That way, if I get a bad grade, I can blame it on the fact that I crammed, not because I'm incompetent. It's not because I'm not smart, because I'm afraid of that statement. It's more, uh, it's because I crammed. That's why I didn't do well. We're afraid of that label. Isn't that interesting? You purposely handicap yourself. Perfectionism. A lot of perfectionists also have a longer to-do list for their day than God has for them. You look at your list and you say, man, I need to get all hundred things done. And God's like, what? Sometimes even prioritizing is something that's so important and key that we need to learn and embrace. Some things we got to learn how to let go. Remember I said that earlier? We got to let go some things in order to do what we need to be doing. Laundry can wait, but that very important email where that person is waiting for your response, it can't. Cleaning your room can wait for the day if you have that impending work assignment where 20 people are relying on you to finish by 5 p.m. in order for them to do their part. Perfectionism. We can't wait for perfect conditions. This also manifests by you sit at your desk and it's a mess. And something inside of you is like, "Ah, must clean it up, must clean it up. Or the, the weather needs to be a certain way, or you have to dress a certain way. I I need to get in my PJs before I start this. Or it's like you, you constantly making all of these like unnecessary obstacles that you have to overcome in order to actually do what you need to do. We can't afford to be perfectionists. Amen. Indecision, perfectionism. The third reason why we procrastinate, fear. Fear. Man, this is huge. You know, I have a little bit of a sweet tooth problem. And while I am so thankful for all of you that have contributed to that addiction (laughs) by giving me chocolates and candies, even all at the other campuses, thank you. I have to say, it's been bad. I love sweet things. And because I love sweet things, I hate the dentist. And one of the reasons why I hate the dentist is because it's always bad news when I go. It is rare. I think I've had maybe two incidents where I've gone to the dentist, I've gotten my teeth checked out, and everything's okay. Out of my whole life. 
Every time I go to the dentist, there's always a new cavity or a new issue. And one of the reasons is because I procrastinate going to the dentist. I refuse to go. I, I have a pain in my tooth, but I'm like, you know what? No, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big. A little pain here, a little pain there. No worries. And I procrastinate because I'm so afraid of going to the dentist and hearing the diagnosis. Guess what? You have another cavity. This is going to cost you another 300,001 to get fixed. And you have to come for another two weeks to get it done. I just don't want to hear that. I think about my dentist and my dentist is actually really amazing. Actually, a lot of our guys here go to my dentist. She's awesome, but I still have nightmares about her. (laughs) She's an amazing woman, but what she does scares me. I am afraid of the drill. I hate the sound of the drill noise. I hate the smell of the dentist's office. These are all things that perpetuate this fear that I have. And because I'm so afraid, I choose to procrastinate what I know I should do. Wisdom is this. You get a little pain, go right away. Why? Because cavities grow. The longer you wait, the bigger it's going to get. The bigger it gets, the more expensive it's going to be. You see that very sound logic? My husband has wrote this out for me time and time again. And yet I refused over and over. I don't care. La, 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 la. Because of fear. Now, dentist is an unpleasant thing, but it's a necessary thing. Some of you guys, you can relate that to your health. Have you been avoiding going to the doctor? You're telling yourself that everything's okay, but the pain's been getting worse. You say that it's faith. I say it could be avoidance. What about assignments? I'm afraid of failing this assignment. Therefore, I'm not even going to touch it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to wait until far along the lines before I even get started on it because I'm afraid to fail. A lot of us, we carry that fear of failure or even fear of success. Isn't that interesting that we can be afraid of success? But ultimately, even fear of success always resorts back to fear of failure. I have a confession to make to all of the other campuses. I'll start with Itaewon. I just feel it. Um, That's a a sign, Itaewon, gang sign, uh, that they made up during our church-wide retreat. Um, Itaewon, this is my confession. When Pastor Christian first told me that he wanted to church plant in Itaewon, my heart was very, very closed. I was not interested in expanding our church. Oh, the reason was I was afraid. And one of the reasons why I was afraid was I was actually afraid that it was going to blow up. I was afraid that we were going to have this thriving ministry in Itaewon. And because things were going to get so much bigger that the quality and the substance of our church was going to decline. I was so used to thinking big churches equal bad things. I don't know where I came up with that, but I just thought, you know, big churches and, and when people, when churches grow, you lose on quality, you lose on intimacy. Like that's the mindset that I had. So when I, when I first heard about church planting in Itaewon, I just was like so filled with fear of even success, but ultimately it was a fear of failure. I was afraid that we were going to fail. If you think about it in terms of climbing up different heights, the higher you go, the bigger the fall. That's kind of the understanding of fear of success. I'm afraid to go high because I'm afraid of the fall. So Itaewon, I apologize. The good news is eventually my heart opened and God began to speak to me about how crucial and how critical Itaewon was going to be. 
And I got really excited. And then seeing Itaewon people come into the house, growing, leaders being raised up. I mean, it was a done deal. Itaewon was obviously God's plan. And then Pastor Christian pulled me aside and talked to me about Busan. And I was like, are you serious? Is that, what, really, why? Busan, forgive me. I, I ask for your forgiveness as you listen to this. Again, another level of fear. Now we have to pastor a campus that's not even in this city. At least Itaewon's around, but now Seaside is in a completely different city, south of Korea. How are we going to do this? I was so afraid. And then when he brought up Sydney, I remember my response literally was, is that necessary? Is that necessary? Sydney, again, I, I almost want to get on my knees a little bit and repent. And I did repent, by the way. Forgive me. I thought, now we're going to go international? What? I was so afraid of failing. I was so afraid of succeeding and then failing that my ability to move forward in planning and thinking and doing what needs to be done, I was immobilized in fear. That needed to be broken off of me in order for me to move forward. Now, obviously, I'm so very grateful for all of the church plans. And I know now the destiny and the calling of why we were part of that process. But to be honest, fear held me back for a while. Fear tends to hold us a, lot, a lot of us back from different things, doesn't it? The fourth reason why we procrastinate, anger. Sometimes we are passive aggressive. Let me, let me explain a depiction of this. At times when someone is, let's say, giving you a phone call and you know you have to call them back, if you're angry with that person, we tend to purposely procrastinate getting back to them. Why? Because we're spiteful and bitter people. Man, I should probably get back to this person, but you know what? I'm upset at them. Or we tend to withhold forgiveness. Why? Because I'm angry. I know I should forgive you, but I'm going to withhold. I'm going to procrastinate on forgiving you because I'm holding on to anger. Sometimes you see this even with young um, teenagers. When we were teenagers, we tended to rebel against our parents and procrastinate cleaning our room. Or if they said to do something, we just would take our sweet time. Often it was just a, a form of passive aggression towards our parents for hurts that we've had. We can even be passive aggressive towards God. When God commands us to do something, we find ourselves procrastinating because we might be upset about something that happened. God, I'm upset at you because of this. Therefore, even though you're telling me to do this, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to quickly obey. Anger. The fifth reason and last reason why we procrastinate, this is my favorite, laziness. Everybody say laziness. laziness. We procrastinate because we want what's comfortable now and have no regards to the discomfort that awaits us. We want what's easy now. Watching a movie with friends when you have a five-page assignment due might initially seem like a more comfortable decision, but quickly turns to discomfort when you're trying to pull an all-nighter to hand your paper in on time. Indecision, perfectionism, fear, anger, laziness. These are some of the reasons why we procrastinate. 
Now, I want to talk about why we can't afford to allow procrastination to continue in our lives. Remember I said earlier that the mindset of procrastination is eh, a little bit of slumber, a little bit of this. It's no big deal. It's okay if I hand in that assignment later. It's okay if I sleep a little bit later. It's okay that I don't do that today. I can wait till tomorrow. This very cavalier mindset towards the assignments that we're given. I want to talk about why we have to ruthlessly get rid of procrastination in our lives. Okay, the first reason is it steals our rest. Where there is procrastination, there is anxiety. When you know you have something important to do and you are intentionally avoiding it, you can't experience true rest. I'm not talking about you needing more time to do an assignment. I'm not talking about, you know, um, yeah, needing extra time for something. I'm talking about intentionally avoiding something. When you intentionally avoid something based on whatever five reasons that I just mentioned earlier, rest is not available. We struggle with rest. Think about it. Some of you guys are actually exhausted, not because of your overproductivity, but because of your procrastination. The truth is, when you are productive, you feel energized. You feel alive. You feel excited. I have gone into the office and had productive days, and I'm like on cloud nine. I've done so many things in a matter of three hours, and I'm like, woo, let's go. What's next? And then I have days where I am continuously procrastinating and it's exhausting. And I sit there and I, I, because it's in the back of my mind, it's anxiety. I know I have to do it, but I know I'm intentionally avoiding it. And all of a sudden that anxiety comes and I'm so tired. Charles Spurgeon describes a sluggard like this. He who takes great pains to escape from pain. Isn't that ironic? We try to avoid the pain of tackling the assignment now, but the reality is we go through pains to do that. It's exhausting. It is tiring to procrastinate. It is relieving. It is empowering. It is refreshing to be productive. I want you guys to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 7 to 8. Okay. I'm going to read it for you guys. I'll actually read a couple of more verses here. Um, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. This is a passage talking about the Israelites 
on their way to the promised land. They continuously procrastinated entering into the promised land. And one of their main reasons for doing that was because of fear. They sent out spies and they heard about the so-called giants in the promised land. And they thought to themselves, what if we pursue this? If we go into this promised land, we are going to die. We are surely going to die. So it was fear that kept them from procrastinating, receiving God's promises, his fulfillment, and God indicted the Israelites by saying that they hardened their hearts towards him. Why? Because they didn't obey immediately. There's power in immediate, immediate obedience. You know, that term procrastination is not just talking about your work life. I'm not just talking about, you know, assignments that you need to get done. I'm also talking about your relationship with God. We can't be a people that procrastinates when it comes to hearing the voice of the Lord. When we do this, we withhold. We don't withhold, but we aren't able to enter in to God's rest. You know, there are times where I had certain assignments and I decided, you know what? I'm going to sleep. I'm just going to take a nap. And those types of sleeps, are they restful? No. You wake up and you're exhausted. Not only are you exhausted, but now you're weary because you know you have less time to do what you were supposed to do. It steals our rest. And therefore, we can't afford that. We have to be a people of rest. We have to be a people that knows how to continuously walk in the state of Sabbath. But part of walking in Sabbath is not just the mindset and the faith for Sabbath. It's also doing what we're called to do when we're called to do it. Another reason why we can't allow procrastination to continue in our lives is it leads to poverty. If you look at our original passage in Proverbs chapter 6, verses, the latter half of the verse, we see a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Well, that same phrase, that same passage could be found in Proverbs 24, if you guys want to flip there. Proverbs 24, verses 30 to 34. This is an account of King Solomon walking past someone's field. And look what he sees, and look how he responds. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, and ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Here's King Solomon. He sees this destroyed state of a field and he sees the man lacking sense and the conclusion he comes to the instruction that he receives from that example is it just takes a little to get there. It just takes a little, a little allowance, a little provision for a little slumber, a little rest. And all of a sudden poverty, poverty can come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. See, when we allow procrastination to run in our lives, we become the opposite of fruitful. Look at the portrait of this field. It's not fruitful. There's thorns. There's weeds. The stone wall is broken down. 
This description is a description of the assets of this person's life. What a field represented at that time was someone's livelihood. And here their livelihood was neglected. This is something that we can't afford to do in our own lives. You know, some of you, even as I'm preaching, you may be a little bit more goal-oriented or type A. And so you say to yourselves, man, I don't have an issue with procrastination. My planner is color-coded. You know, I have 15 different post-its that mean 15 different things. When I get an assignment, I start that day. You know, procrastination isn't an issue for me when it comes to those things. But I'm talking about a holistic procrastination, talking in regards to every area of your life. You may be good about not procrastinating with your work assignments, but are you procrastinating when it comes to your relationships? Are you avoiding confrontation? Are you avoiding confession? Are you avoiding meaningful opportunities to connect with someone because you're afraid that you might get rejected? Are you resisting talking to someone? Maybe you're resisting talking to a spiritual authority in regards to something that's heavy on your heart. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. It's not that big of a deal. This struggle is so little. It's not that small. I mean, it's not that big. It's easy to get over. I'll just wait. I'll just wait, I'll just wait, I'll just wait until it becomes a full-blown obstacle in your walk. It's not just monetary poverty that we're talking about here. We're talking about seeing and experiencing lack in all areas of your life. Procrastination leads to poverty. We can't afford to allow this to happen in our lives. The third reason why we can't afford to have procrastination in our life is it's not a kingdom mindset. Pastor Christian gave a quote last Sunday by Dallas Willard to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. To ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives is really to ruthlessly eliminate procrastination. Why? Because we're often in a hurry because we're doing today what we should have done yesterday. The way Jesus walked on earth was in always in immediate obedience to the father. I only say what the father is saying. I only do what the father is doing. That is why Jesus was able to walk in complete rest. It's also not a kingdom mindset to be unprepared kingdom in us says, be prepared, be ready, be ready. Be like the wise virgins, not the foolish ones. We have to understand that the day of Jesus returning is indeed drawing near, and we have to be a church that prepares for such a day. Luke twelve forty says this, You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Kingdom mindset is always be ready. That's kingdom. That's you. That's me. That's what we're called to. And that's in actuality what's inside of us. So procrastination is evil. We get it. We shouldn't do it. We need to get rid of it. We can't afford to have a cavalier attitude. How do we get rid of procrastination? How do we overcome? If you look at our original passage, the instruction is this. Look at the ant. The message says, you lazy fool. Look at an ant, watch it closely, let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. All summer, it stores up food. At harvest, it stockpiles provisions. We have to observe the ant. You know, Pastor David um, on our intern pastor gave an awesome message 
this past year sometime called Be an Ant. Okay. If you guys haven't listened to it yet, I really recommend you guys check it out. And he talked about the wisdom of being like an ant. And he went through all of these incredible details of what makes ants so extraordinary. And one of the things that's so cool about ants is the fact that they have insane work ethic. Okay? They know how to be productive. All right? They continuously prepare in advance for things that they know are going to happen later on. Not only that, but they don't need to be told what to do. They just do it. They know their purpose and they execute it with excellence. And there's all these different types of ants that have different types of roles. I don't remember all of the different types of ants. But I remember um, hearing about soldier ant. Everybody say soldier ant. Now, the role of the soldier ant is actually to protect the colony. But another thing that a soldier ant does is it kills the ants that refuse to work. Isn't that interesting? Ants are so committed to being productive that even if their own brother refuses to work, you die. Now, that may seem a little bit harsh, but I think we need to adopt that kind of mindset. No, I'm not saying if someone in the church is not working, you know, you get rid of them. But what I am saying is that in our own hearts, in our own minds, we have to recognize the places that have been unproductive and we have to get rid of it. What area in my thought life, what area in my mindset, what area in my heart is not productive, this needs to be destroyed. That's how committed they are to work. It's incredible. It it seriously is. And think about how humbling this is. God is telling a man, okay, I'm sure this man is of whatever size, you lazy fool, look at an ant and learn. God is saying, look at one of the smallest creatures, humble yourself and take observation of this tiny little insect because you can learn from them. There's something so humbling about that, right? But there's also something very hopeful about that depiction. Why? Because the ant brain is very small, (laughs) yet it is so capable of so much. But in that same line of thought, we have to understand that we were created in the image of God and our brains are incredible. It is an incredible thing. And not only that, we have a greater ability, a greater capability to do so much more and accomplish so more than what a tiny little ant can do. It's humbling, but it's also meant to be a hopeful thing. If an ant can do it, you can. Okay? If an ant can be productive, we can be productive. If an ant can refuse to procrastinate, guys, we can refuse to procrastinate. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, be an ant. So here is this ant. We know what to do. We know what we want to be like. How do we get there? Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23. This is a verse I've been meditating on all throughout this month. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23. It says this. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. The NIV says this. Repent. At my rebuke, then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. 
The key is when you hear that word reproof or rebuke, Pastor Paul gave his whole message on that. Listen to it. It's so good. The power of correction, the power of listening to rebuke, the power of even giving rebuke. If you turn at my reproof, if you turn at the correction that God is trying to give us, what is the response? God will pour out his spirit to you. And he will make his words known to you. The key to overcoming procrastination is this. Repent. Repent. And what I mean by repenting is not, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm talking about change your mind about procrastination. I am telling you to make it something that you refuse to entertain or allow to be habitual in your life. We have to change our understanding. We have to change our mindset towards procrastination. Not only that, but we have to change our minds about us. I don't know about you, but one of the reasons why I was so nervous to preach this message is because I am the queen of procrastination. I have excelled in this area for about 29 years of my life. I can give you example after example of example of how I would get an assignment and I would immediately tell myself, I have a month to do it. I'm going to start on it three days before it's due. It it had become so ingrained inside of me that it wasn't even like a, oh, no, I'll do it tomorrow. It's like I already knew I'm going to do it the day before. You know what I mean? Like that's how far I had come. That's the wicked thing about procrastination is it continues to grow. Left alone, it grows. It festers. It gets worse in our lives. And so I was so nervous. Man, I don't want to preach this message. God, because when I saw myself, I saw a procrastinator. And this is where repentance is so crucial. This is where we have to understand procrastinator is not your identity. You may do it. You may have struggled with it for years and years and years and years. But listen to me. This is not who you are. This is not who God has created you to be. And this is something that you can easily overcome by faith. Do you believe it? Can you believe for it that even though this has been a habit, even though for some of you guys, it's like even an addiction, we can overcome because God is with us. We got to change our mindset and we have to break off the spirit of futility. We're so comfortable with procrastination. We've made friends with procrastination. Some of us are besties with procrastination and we can't even imagine a life without it. But I want to cast vision inside of you today that 2014, we can see procrastination gone. Imagine your life full of productivity that when you get an assignment, you know, to start on that assignment that when things need to get done, you do it when it needs to get done. Can you imagine how much more we can do for the kingdom when we live that way? How not only productive, but how fulfilling, how exciting our lives would be. We got to repent. And when I talk about repent, I'm not just talking about changing your mind. It's also changing your direction. This is the way of wisdom. And this is the way of foolishness. We have to literally change the course of how we walk in order to overcome procrastination. What I mean by that is if you fall into procrastination, you need to get back up, 
turn back around into wisdom and continue to walk towards wisdom. What we tend to do is we fall into procrastination and we immediately tell ourselves, oh, there's no hope. There's no way we can get over this. This will always be a part of my life. And we walk towards the way of foolishness. You can see this even in other sin patterns in your life. Even with things like lust, we can see that same mentality. Repentance is key. It's the turning away. It's the turning back to wisdom. And watch this. This is the best part. When you do that, God will pour out his spirit upon you. Every opportunity for repentance is an opportunity for revival. Every opportunity you have to turn away, God is just waiting, readying his spirit to be poured out over you. His grace, his strength, his joy, his peace, his rest. He just wants to lavish it on you. But we first have to turn. You know, the mantra of procrastination is never do today. What can be put off until tomorrow? I lived by that (laughs) for many, many, many years. I read a book called Don't Eat the Marshmallow. And it's based on a study. I won't go into it, but you guys should look it up. It's a really cool study on little kids and self-control and delayed gratification and all that stuff. And in that book, there was a quote that said this. Ask yourself every day. What am I willing to do today in order for me to become successful tomorrow? What am I willing to do today in order for me to become successful tomorrow? The focus becomes on the future. This is kingdom mentality, the hope and the future that we have to look forward to. But I want to rephrase that line and I want to ask you and make your mantra. What am I willing to sow in today in order for me to reap tomorrow? God wants us to be a people that will prepare. He wants to be uh, us to be a people that sows in so that we can reap later. He wants us to be bold enough to confront some of the hardships now in order to face some of the ease later. Don't wait. Do not push off. Don't slow down. Don't delay. Don't procrastinate. I believe God wants to seriously set us free from procrastination today so that the course of the rest of this year would be fruitful. I want you guys to just close your eyes.